Good day, and welcome to The Buzz, a bank automation news podcast. I'm Associate Editor Elijah Poindexter. On Fridays this month, we're sharing excerpts from the Bank Automation Summit. In today's episode, tech leaders from the banking and financial services industry join me to discuss automation strategies and commercial lending from both the bank and fintech point of view. Joining me are Atul Verma, CIO of Personal and Business Banking with BMO, Daniel C., Senior Vice President and Director of Wholesale Transformation at Fifth Third Bank, Chris Gufford, General Manager of Commercial Product with Casino, and Karen Oakland, Vice President of Industry Marketing with Smart Communication. When you're looking at a lending process and, you're in, and it's sort of, it's just there. Chris, I'll throw this at you. How do you decide if it needs automation? And maybe you can give a use case as to something that you saw in, in the you know recent past, present, and it was like, this directly needs automation. We're going to go ahead and tackle this. Uh, and then maybe what the results of that were. Yeah, sure. Um, so... I was a credit analyst for a number of years before sitting in the technology seat working on this, so um, direct firsthand experience of what I'm about to explain, and probably many of you have experienced it as well, but uh, financial statement analysis, and, and Daniel, I certainly would appreciate this as well, right? It's, you know, I get financial statements from a borrower, and I spend, you know, days on end with a 10 key, and I, I'm really fast with it, actually, now, still to this day, but, uh, you know, keying numbers from this paper into this machine, right? And I'd get some outputs. And, uh, you know, when I embarked on the, the technology journey, gosh, almost 15 years ago now, and, you know, I always thought, man, if I could make that go away, I've probably done, you know, something, right? Um, and, you know, we step back now and we look at it and, you know, gosh, that was a lot of transposition of information, right? And, and really latent data into this, and then, frankly, that data just got more latent as I put it into there, but I didn't realize it at the time. So we'll do more with that later, but leveraging technology like optical character recognition, which is a technology, like, but until we have a business application for it, it's just that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so taking you know, PDF copies or Excel spreadsheets or whatever and feeding those in automatically, I just freed up hours in a week for my credit analyst to be able to do things. And then you take that one step further and you're even seeing this out in the market now where we're going straight to accounting systems and pulling data out of those accounting systems and putting in those to, to financial analysis. So even cutting out that paper intermediary at times Right and expediting that process. So when we talk about that journey and that experience, suddenly the experience to the credit analyst, I never liked keying those things in. I liked thinking about it after I got it in there. So time to analysis and that job satisfaction is way better, but also my time to yes, my time to loan committee, the quality of what I can do because I have more time to spend on it, it all improves, right? Mm -hmm. So the entire journey for the client and me and my internal constituents have gotten way better. Yeah. So that's a great point, if I may add to that, actually. So we looked at um, this from a, obviously, some obvious areas for automation. So document handling is a, is a good example. We went after that. Um, credit decisioning is a good example. But to your point about uh, making it easier for the analyst, but in our case, a banker, we have about 600 bankers on the platform between Canada and U.S. For them to not have to deal with the system, but w- deal with the customer and the client they're working with, have that conversation, need, do the need assessment, the systems would be pretty transparent to them, actually. They should not look at their training about where to click and what to do, right? So that was one of the focus areas for us, to exactly the point that you were making. So Chris and I were talking about this a week or two ago before we came in about OCR. And so from Smart Communications, where we have done a lot recently is around what I would say digital forms transformation 
And we like to say the form of the future is actually not a form at all, but it's more of a digital interview where it's pre-populated by a system of record. It's guiding somebody down a path, like a TurboTax kind of experience. And where we find the most um, places where we see that is you go to a bank's website or insurance company's website, and you're looking to do something, and then it takes you to a web page, and it lists all the PDF forms that it wants you to then download, fill out, set, scan, and send it back. And it's not a digital experience. It's a digital and name-only kind of experience. And so removing that friction from especially new account opening, loan origination, but servicing kinds of things as well. Mm -hmm. Seen a lot of, of really great stories around that. Um, the, one of the areas I've seen a lot is like leasing kinds of applications in particular because you have to build in some automation that um, allows for renewals. Right? So after that lease is up, you want to have communications that are generated to renew that or do something with that. So there's a lot of really interesting things. And uh, the last thing, too, is we were talking about e-signatures, I think, on an earlier panel. And mm -hmm. I always come back to, like, you know, you have to prepare that document for e-signature, too. So yeah. it's not just the e-signature, but it's all the prepared the prepare part of that and then pulling it through. So we've seen a lot of, of kind of action around e-signature e was like one of the hottest technologies over COVID. It's crazy. And the interesting piece on the documents, and none of the banks like to admit this, but we've done this study in a couple different places. It takes longer to do a renewal than it does a new money deal. And intuitively, that makes no sense. You've already underwritten the client. You've done your client selection. But the reality is when you get into it, you have to go back and cross-reference everything from the previous year because you don't have a good snapshot. And sometimes you're on like amendment number 10, and so you're going back to somebody that worked at the bank seven years ago to figure out what they did, and is it okay if you change it? And so much of that, once you start to actually capture the data where you can then use it, you can snapshot it to say, only four data elements changed from the last time we did this. They're good, move on. Um, and so I think that really starts to change the game. And you know, the reality is, even with a lot of the automation, it's been about new money deals. I got a new client, new money, how do I do it fast? But the reality is most of us are monitoring you know, ongoing. Most of us are doing you know, annual reviews or renewing a line of credit on an um, annual basis. And, that's where all the people are. That's where the money's at. Um, and those are the clients we want to keep and maintain that you know, ongoing annuity stream. So as you think about fixing the docs, it starts to make all that so much simpler. I'll take a moment here to pause everybody and let everybody know that we are looking forward to your questions. I already have a few in here. They look awesome. But again, if you have any questions, just go ahead and throw them in there, uh, and hopefully we'll get to them. Uh, so, Atul, back to you. Um, you know, when we keep all this complexity in mind, uh, how does a financial institution, how do they manage to automate these complex and multi-layered lending solutions at scale? So th that's a great point. So we are almost, uh, Victor was here before, uh, 200-year-old bank, um, almost touching trillion dollars. So we have all the technologies we can ever imagine, right? Everything is there. Uh, so the, 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 the key is to look at how do you go from being artisan to industrial, right? That's the scaling part that you mentioned. So we have examples of this team did this, but that's where this died, actually. It never went beyond that team. So we're very focused on how do you make sure it's industrial, it's applicable to the broader um, set of processes and broader set of applications. And the second thing, which is more about the value delivery. So automation for the sake of automation very quickly kills the business case and the story, right? So you have to make sure there's enough value and stages of the process. So this particular transformation in the business banking, from day one, we have um, monthly releases. And each, obviously, in the beginning, it took some time to get to a um, to an MVP state. But after that, uh, we were very clear on what our KPI should be and how we measure the success as we go forward. So those are the two things where it really helps. And 
um, for a company like ours, it's, it's really big, so the, the point um, in the previous channel, but we cannot centralize these things. It has to be decentralized. And we have to enable all the groups to self-serve these tools and build their own automation. So those things would be come to mind in terms of how you scale up. Wonderful, okay. Uh, so Chris, I'll, I'll put this one uh, to you. It, it, you know, it's hard to believe that it's already been almost in the day, two years since everything first shut down, so to speak, and obviously PPP uh, was a massive part of that. So Chris, you know, obviously we have a lot of, you know, general ideas about, you know, how PPP changed uh, lending automation, uh, specifically commercial uh, lending automation, but, you know, from your boots on the ground approach, what did you see uh, happening and what have you seen? You know, how have financial institutions responded? Yeah, I think, you know, when you when you look at that program and when it was deployed and, you know, we were super fortunate enough to be involved, uh, you know, pretty heavily trying to help our partner banks take, you know, uh, take that help to the street, so to speak. And, you know, I think two things happened. One, uh, you know, the banks and the, the FIs in this room, right, financial institutions realizing how quickly you can deploy a technology solution when when, when the necessity strikes, right? Um, and, and really uh, put something together really, really quickly that adds the right customer value at the right moment in time. And, you know, then secondarily to that, it altered customer expectations almost overnight, I feel like. Um, suddenly, you know, we're, we're having conversations with a number of institutions that are like, well, I, I just need my small business lending to work like that. Right? That we did it that quickly, that fast. And so, and the customer's expectations are that. They want to interact digitally. They want to interact. They, they want to send their documents in digitally. They want to get their documents back digitally. They want a digital yes uh, and those sorts of things. And uh, they want an experience that's, that's wrapped up into a more web-driven, phone-enhanced experience um, all because of that. And I think that's not just happening necessarily in the small business arena or the business banking arena that we typically think of with PPP, but it's certainly surfacing itself upstream a bit in the interactions that, you know, I'm not sure Karen's seeing and, and we are as well. Um, you know, uh, I, I wouldn't disagree that the, you know, probably the, the large $100 million hospital deal, there's still a lot of high touch going on there, but I like to think of that. It, it, it did make it much more high touch, high tech though. And the expectation has even changed there and how, how they, how that should work. So I think it's impacted upstream and downstream and in, in those particular ways. Mm -hmm. Anything else, yeah, Karen? Yeah, no, we definitely found the same thing. So we built actually, it's very similarly, a PPP-specific forms application, especially around the loan forgiveness process, which you guys probably all know is really complicated because you had to upload a lot of information about salaries and rents, and there are all kinds of rules changing all the time. I mean, the government keeps changing the rules on you, so you have to go in and keep changing it. And so we actually, we were really successful in particular with banks that did not have big, giant IT teams, to your point about build versus buy. You know, certainly here, you're, you're Wells Fargo, if they are here or not, but, um, you know, somebody like that, they have got an army of IT people that can put something together, but to be able to plug and play and be able to use kind of some of these low-code, drag-and-drop kind of business user type of, of solutions, I think that is the wave of the future, to be able to scale and to be able to get these things up and running quickly. And then, similar to Chris, we've definitely found that once banks started to see, oh, this is working here, what else could I do? And similar kind of really paper-intensive, complex processes. Um, I think one of the keys with that digital solution, too, was the ability to put in um, calculations on the back end, too, right? And so to be able to just automate all of that process made a real difference. I mean, and, and we always like to talk about it, it made a real difference in people's lives, too, and being able to get that money right. faster. And that has, that has real impact, so... 
So for a tool in Daniel, uh, you know, when implementing the, these technologies, uh, which were most instrumental uh, to your bank's success in just sort of automating uh, commercial lending? And so this is RPA, this is workflow process uh, automation on the employee side, uh, of course, machine learning, and of course, intelligent uh, document automation. So maybe a little bit of insight there. Yeah. So, you know, I think long term, when we look at what are the things that are going to last and drive value, it's much more around the integration, really building automation. You know, robotics has been very beneficial, especially in our operations space, but I, I also think a lot of times it's plugging the gap. You know, we're about to do a major, like many of us in this room, we're on AFS level three, we're making a decision, you know, what platform we're going to replace that with. Well, the team did a great job over the years of doing robotics that we really can't reuse, um, that, you know, took the cost out and the people aren't there anymore. And now as we move to a new tool, there's essentially a side project that we now have to do to make sure we don't lose that level of automation. Um, and so that's where, you know, robotics has been very good in the short run. We used it a lot in PPP. Um, but a lot of what we're looking at is how can we build things that are going to change? Because we know we're going to be plugging vendors in and out for different capabilities because vendors are just going so deep in certain areas. It's no longer you can have one platform that covers it, and just everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for us, it's... Um Less of the robotics because we try to fix the process itself versus trying to automate on, on an older inefficient process. But uh, workflow automation was big, uh, both front and back. Um, making it transparent to the customer was a big deal for us in the process. That's a, when you talk about customer experience, that's a big part of the customer experience so they know where things are. So a lot of automation around notifications, for example. Um, a lot of automation around real-time fraud rules and fraud engines. So we put in something like selfie ID. You can take your selfie when you're applying. That gets processed along with your other documentation, makes a rule. And, and the biggest part of these is these are all adjustable. So as we learn more about the customer behavior, either a set of customers or a point in time, we can tweak them, actually. And we saw that very clearly with our um, selfie ID use. Uh, initially, we, when we implemented that, our fraud teams were went too narrow, <laughs> and we were um, at like a 10% approval rate of what's going on. So it's real time. So that's the beauty of it. You can really tweak it and open up that pressure as much as you want or close it back again, depending on what's going on. So those are the examples. Yeah. But uh, again, back to the point about the tooling, it's important, but also the value delivery. So you need to look at your end-to-end -end process, what are you trying to achieve from an outcome perspective, and then focus on those areas. I think the other item, and probably even more important than the automation or RPA or anything else, is what's the change management around it? Because if people, it goes back to transparency, if they don't trust what you built, they will find a way around it. Um, and it will always happen. And you can try to mandate it from the top down, but you're never going to have the right employee experience and the right outcome if you're mandating it versus them wanting to use it. So it's so important to do that. One project I worked on, this was non-fit third, but they'd actually built a really slick, product that was mainly digital and really low adoption rate. So we went in to look at, you know, why is this not being used? We started talking to bankers. The bankers, first person I talked to, oh, well, anytime I get something that fits this box, I refer it to another bank. And it's like, wait a second, you're referring business to a competitor? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was pretty hot, went and talked to the next banker, and they said the same thing. And it turned out most of the bankers, especially the ones that were really successful, they were referring to another bank instead of going through the automated channel. Because they said, I took years to build this relationship. I make a lot of money off of this client. And I don't even understand how this digital channel works. I have no control over it. I don't get any updates about it. If my client calls me and they're upset, I don't know anything. And so I'm not going to jeopardize that. And so we 
that bank had completely missed the change as management aspect around what does it do to our employees? And so there was no volume. You didn't get the lift you want. You missed that end goal of what you were trying to do. And so they had to open it up and actually make it transparent so that the bankers still had control over their clients. You've been listening to The Buzz, a bank automation news podcast. Thank you for your time and be sure to visit us at bankautomationnews.com for more automation news. You can also follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Please don't hesitate to rate this podcast on your podcast platform of choice. Thank you.